Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 121. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. We all know to increase your odds of success, you need to increase your knowledge. With Audible.com, it's never been easier. Go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get your free 30-day trial today and become unstoppable. Patience. Yeah. All right. So in Archuleta, I'm saying that correct, right? Yes. All right, and I'll use the picture. I just ask all these questions now, so I don't have to email you later. Uh, the picture from okay. your website, the, the the picture of you guys together on the about page, is that cool? Oh, that's perfect. The only thing that's changed is my hair color, but that changes like every three months. So don't <laughs> like that's never consistent. All right, cool. So if you guys are ready, I'm ready. We're recording, and we can dive right into it. Great. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tim and Aaron Archuleta, my first husband and wife combination. I can't wait. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. Awesome. You guys feeling unstoppable or what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I cannot wait for this. So I'll just give a quick introduction and pass it over to you guys to get the details. Aaron and Tim are the proprietors of Ichi Sushi and Nibar, as well as Ichi Kakia. And I, I know I probably said that wrong again. Help me out. No, you're good. It's just Kakia. <laughs> All right. I mean, oyster shop. Awesome. Okay. And uh, since opening, Ichi Sushi it was named one of America's top restaurants in Zagat 2013 Guide and Zagat San Francisco Bay Area Guide's 2013 20 Restaurants uh, has won Best of Bay in five outlets and is included in the 2013 uh, San Francisco Louis. Uh, Vuitton City Guide, and also most recently, you were uh, recognized as one of San Francisco's the, the Chronicles 100 top restaurants. And this is just what I could find, and there's just so much more going on, but I can't even begin to dive into the details because you guys have both accomplished so much. So I guess the I'll just pass it over to you to kind of dive into the details and to give us the big picture. And I don't know which one of you wants to go first. Uh, I, I guess we have to say ladies first, right, Tim? Well, <laughs> so I'll start by saying that Tim should maybe talk about his sushi background because that's the only reason we exist. So maybe, Tim, if you want to say a couple of ways? Sure. So I started, well, I've been making sushi for about 20 years now. Um, I started in Santa Cruz uh, back in 96. And I basically have just apprenticed for years with a Japanese guy. He taught me how to make traditional sushi. Um, but we worked in more California fusion restaurants, though. Okay. So uh, when I owned my own place, it was kind of uh, my dream to actually kind of take it back to more traditional uh, preparations and, and ethics and, and actually using a lot more of the actual Japanese products. All right. Uh, especially fish. Okay. But we so, I, so I've been making fish for years. Um, in 2006, I started a catering company to where we – basically would provide sushi for a lot of the big tech companies. So we provide sushi for Google, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, Pixar, and all of them, just, just a bunch of the, of, of the bigger ones. They were outsourcing their sushi. They made a lot of their own food also, but sushi wasn't their specialty. So I was like one of like five vendors. Oh, wow. So then back in the day, we were slowly building the, the catering company, and then when 2008 came and everything crashed down, the sushi budget was the first to go. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we ended up doing a lot of uh, uh, social catering and actually started doing pop-ups in, in bars. Uh, was yeah, that, and so was, sorry, go ahead. Point, oh, sure. At that point, um, I had a previous career in education and small business development and nonprofit growth. And I worked with a literacy organization called 826 National, and it was wonderful, and I basically had the opportunity to work in cities all across America, deeply thinking about 
the needs of neighborhoods, families, and workforce development. Okay. And so while that seems like kind of a non sequitur, it actually translates directly into the restaurant industry. Oh, yeah. Um, so it was really funny. We kind of got so busy that I needed to leave my role at work and help kind of with the family business, if you will. And so then we were working together in the catering company. Then since the market crashed, and then we had to make a real hard choice about what our businesses look like. And it's kind of one of those stories that I think are pretty common where when you're young and kind of in this emerging space where everything's going really well, um, you know, you're, you're usually operating with the idea of future in mind, mm-hmm. but maybe not really auditing what are you really great at mm. and what makes you really happy. And so while catering was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's like this rush of, like when you know you've produced someone's wedding and how mm-hmm. special that is. At the same time, it wasn't exactly in alignment with what we wanted to do. And so, um, yeah, so then our story continued to evolve after that. And I'm sure we'll go more in depth, but we mm-hmm. had a little Japanese deli and then opened a restaurant and opened another. And we can talk more about kind of how that happened, but... That's the bigger picture. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into the details. And uh, thanks for that backstory. And uh, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, Tim, when you were talking, you mentioned, uh, you know, it was kind of your dream to uh, do something that was more traditional because that wasn't really something that was out there. And you, and I think you kind of, by doing that, you niched down a little bit. And then you went even further and you niched down to focus on just catering and focusing on the, the tech niche, the, the the corporations that are out there. I mean, and you said that you were one of very few that did cater to those restaurants. So how big, you know, of a contribution do you think it was that you were very niched down to, to traditional sushi? And not only was it the kind of food you were niched down, but your target market was extremely focused too. Do you think that had a lot to do with your early success? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, there's something even as simple as putting the seaweed on the outside of a roll is is something that is might be uncomfortable for a lot of uh, novice sushi eaters. So mm-hmm. they think, I don't want to eat seaweed. So what we've done in the past, our sushi chefs have done is they put the rice on, on, on the outside so it can be a little bit more approachable. So just even putting the seaweed was something that we always did to the rolls. It's such a huge component of what Japanese food is. I think that was one thing I tried to definitely mm-hmm. do to actually kind of just show what kind of people like what world with sushi is all about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the technique, actually, I got really lucky. The end game was always a restaurant. It mm-hmm. was never to be a giant catering company. But a lot of my friends actually worked at Google. So mm-hmm. they were some of the first sous chefs and some of the first chefs to open up a lot of the cafes that they, I think they have, like, 25 now throughout the campuses. But they were one of the, the, the first guys in there. So... I had an opportunity to get my foot in the door, and that actually is what has led us to where we are today. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, Aaron and Tim, you, you guys really did a great job of capitalizing on that opportunity. And so many times people get in this industry or they want to get in, into the industry, but they don't get creative enough to find their way to really break through and to find that opportunity to kind of work your way to the top. And I just think that's a really cool story there. So thank you for sharing that and giving us the details um, on that. And um, I feel like we know you guys a little bit better now. We get the, the big picture. Um, so now I think it's time for you guys to get that motivational inspirational ball rolling. And I want you to do that by just hitting us with a success quarter mantra that you guys kind of have echoing in your everyday life. We narrowed it down. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the two people, this must have been hard to, to pick. Yeah, so I'm going to fess up. We we have a little bit of a buffet. Um, above my desk, this has been hanging for years, ever since I was a middle school language arts teacher in Michigan. Uh, Dr. Maya Angelou's quote, nothing will work unless you do. Mm. And just the resonance of, you know, there's a whole lot of wish and a whole lot of dream, but that practicality of just getting up and doing the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always true. Um, One other that is also funny enough, Dr. Maya Angelou, that is um, I doubt she (laughs) had the lens of hospitality in mind, but it translates incredibly effectively, is a quote that she has, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget 
how you made them feel. Mm. Absolutely. Those, yeah, that just that exchange of what you might have in a dining room, that special occasion, the fact that someone allowed you to celebrate their anniversary with them. These are all gifts that people give us in hospitality and being mindful of that. And then there's just one really funny, irreverent one that um, Billy is dressing up. I'm a huge Bravo TV fan. I watch okay. Real Housewives everything. <laughs> and we were watching um, Steve Harvey, uh, this, you know, the really celebrated host, on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. And he said something so great. He was talking about uh, sort of celebrity culture and haters. And it's really interesting. One of the things that I think is often very tough for your staff in a restaurant is, and, I, and I'm not bashing else, but um, this idea that people can go online and say whatever they want about you with no ability to have a dialogue. <laughs> and so there's some sort of one-sided conversation sometimes in the, in the space of review or comments or, you know, and, and it's hard. And so Steve Harvey said that there's an old adage about haters that he bears in mind and that it's a common thing for a dog to bark up at the moon. But when the moon barks back at the dog, the dog becomes famous. <laughs> I like so that like, one. <laughs> yeah, it's thinking about that level of indulgence. Yeah. Don't indulge, you know? So those were are breaking it down to three. <laughs> I think was my one thing I think I've said a million times to poor Aaron who's had to deal with, with me throughout the years is <laughs> no matter what, never give up. Mm. I mean, we since we started the business, I mean, all the challenges of just being a catering company, and then we probably have looked at, at say, at least 100 different places to, mm. to lease easily throughout the years of trying to open up a restaurant, the restaurant always in the end game, and something's not working out, you know, or investors pulling out, or whatever the, the challenges have been, and just never giving up on, on what we want to accomplish. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Yeah, I think that people think that there's this magic uh, order of operations where you magically get money and you magically open the doors and here's what happens. But I think that the lease is one of the few, like, not sexy things that people talk about. And especially if you are in an urban center that is a changing and emerging economy, your lease is one of the few long-term relationships you'll have other than your partner. Mm -hmm. And so it is something to just, you know, that's the process. You're like dating to find yeah. the right photo. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are definitely a great team. And I think there's just so much value in those few quotes you shared with us. And I mean, just the, it seems like the theme is just, you know, to keep your head down and to continue to work. And it kind of, these quotes you shared with us kind of remind me of Seth Godin's book, The Dip. And in that book, The Dip, he just yeah. talks about always working, going, going, going. And many times people quit just before the tipping point. And it's those who can just right. keep their head down and just keep on pushing that will grow that, you know, those loyal tribe members and will make it and will start to do ex extremely well. And I love how you mentioned experience too, because I mean, we all know that at the end of the day, we're selling an experience and food contributes mm -hmm. usually to that, but that social intelligence too, of just having those human relation in the, that connectivity. So I, I talk too much. I'm going to shut up now. We're going to get back to asking <laughs> you guys questions. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Okay. So the first question I have for you too is what do you think your it factors are? If you could like limit it down just a few it factors that you each bring to the table, what would they be? My portion of the it factor, which is how my, my part of the, of the relationship with the, our business is, is the food and the culture of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So we do something very specific at our restaurant. We we season all the nigiri for you. So the nigiri is the fish on the rice that you would normally dunk in some soy sauce. Mm -hmm. But for us at, at, at Ichi, what we do is we season everything for you. So it might have, it already has a wasabi on it, which is a traditional thing to do in Japan. You don't add wasabi to the soy sauce and completely submerge your, your sushi into this puddle of, of, of soy sauce and wasabi mixture. It's, it's, you, you dip just a little bit in the soy sauce. But for us, we actually put some kind of sauce on top of it, maybe some kind of salt, some actual, actual uh, or some little extra seasoning. So you, all you have to do is put your mouth and eat it. It's ready to go. You don't, there's nothing you have to add to it. And... I think this was a this was a very big shock for a lot of 
our consumers because, you know, we, we're in San Francisco and we're in California, and the, the modern style of sushi, which you see pretty much everywhere in the United States, is this, is this very soft-based, wasabi, mm-hmm. spicy-based type of sushi that, that basically that we've come used to. Basically, what I started from sushi chefs trying to trick people into eating raw food, raw <laughs> fish. Back in the 80s, you know, you, they'd say, hey, try some of this raw fish. I mean, it was, had nothing to do with our culture whatsoever. <laughs> in yeah. Back in the day when we were actually also, you know, cooking beef until it was beef jerky and, and, and basically kind of, you know, eating something raw was something we were comfortable with. So what awesome. we do is we, we, we season everything for you so it doesn't have a ton of soy sauce. It doesn't have a ton of wasabi on it. It has some of those components, but you actually get a lot more of the actual fish flavor than you do of soy sauce and wasabi. And then on top of that, also listening to hip hop, blaring through the through the speakers, which we're which we're really well known for. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. it's kind of a, it's kind of a, we we kind of feel for every sense we basically can. Yeah, and I, I wrote some things down, Tim. We're going to come back to you. Uh, I want to make sure we get Aaron's if factors before we do a little wrap-up. What I bring to the table, I think, comes from my background in the public and nonprofit sector. I think I am a convener of people, both figuratively and literally at the table, in the work that we're doing now. Um, I think about everyone who's joining us, whether they're a customer or an employee. And for our employees specifically, I think that – Educational development and leadership development are pieces that I am always happy to be engaging in. I think that it's really critical for your team to always be learning and growing, fully stepping up that I come from an education background. Um, and, and the other truth is that I think that we've been able to really make a restaurant that feels like a community space. Mm. So we're this space that I think customers feel like they're not just there to have a meal but they're actually there to have an exchange. Mm-hmm. And that's really rare and really special in how busy the world is today. Awesome. I love it. So, I mean, so far we have this Tim with his his food and his culture. And I think that that culture is so, so important. And um, one of the reasons why, you know, as the show has evolved, I decided to focus on indie restaurant professionals because I feel like it's those people who – have something that really ties that, that is special to them. And I think that that culture, that unique selling proposition that you guys have, is really important uh, and a really strong if factor, and it contributes so much to the experience. And then on the topic of, of experience, you, Aaron, with your ability to engage and connect with these people and to be more than just a place to eat, but it's a, a place where people feel like they're a part of the community. All those things are so so very valuable. Now. I don't know how we're going to tie in all these things. So maybe if you can just pick one of these it factors and share a story of when that it factor really shone through. Sure. So I think that for me, it would be around scale and growth. And so I spent, you know, the previous decade thinking deeply about how to build small businesses and blended models of community organizations and how to sustain them through periods in which, the economy might have even been more challenged. You know what? We should pause because our dog is coming in from our dog walker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. You know what? I'm going to take this opportunity, too, to go take the collar off my dog because I can hear it jingling in the okay. background, and it's Great. really annoying me. All right. One second. We'll, I'll be back. I'm taking my ear, my headset off. I'll be back. This is perfect. We're having a dog room. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm back. Perfect. We all just took a dawn break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing the interview from home because it's so loud at the restaurant. Oh, so. cool. Well, thanks for taking the time to go home and get in a quiet oh. spot. I appreciate that. Here's the great joke. We live directly across the street. Oh, so. <laughs> you can never escape. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy journey. It's a really easy journey. All right. So um, back to we were talking about oh, it factor. So yeah, applied like a story applies to the factor. That's right. Sure. So the it factor piece, I think, for me is around the fact that I had um, a longer history in scale and growth and replication of small businesses and community-based organizations. And so when that great sort of, well, not great in terms of positive, but great in terms of big reach economic crisis happened in 2008 and 2009, we really had to audit who we are and what we did. And at that point, there had been almost this 
autopilot mm -hmm. of building and growth around catering for us. And so then Tim and I, as newly married, we had only been married, I think, a year at that point. We were in our first year of marriage. Okay. And then we decided, you know, what what really mattered. And Tim said, you know, I really I want to have a restaurant. That's mm -hmm. always been <laughs> my goal. And so we thought about how do you get there? And I thought a lot about, and this is maybe a funny translation, but I thought a lot about when you build a nonprofit or you build a community organization, you build a volunteer corps from the beginning. And when you build a restaurant, what you actually need is a group of people who can't wait to come eat with you all the time. Mm -hmm. And so how do you build that brand? How do you build that recognition? And how do you do it in an authentic way? Mm. And so we began to do these pop-ups in bars. So Tim being the friendliest person on the planet, naturally just had a bunch of buddies who were bartenders. And so we brought out places where there were commercial kitchens or a spot that sort of made sense to have a pop-up. And so through that, we began to have people all over the city. So when you have a restaurant, you're typically limited to one neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But with a pop-up, you can be anywhere, and you can make friends in other areas that, you know, normally someone from Russian Hill in San Francisco might not always come to Bernal Heights. But if we come to them, then they begin to know you, they know your food, they know you personally. And suddenly there was a whole group of people who were interested in us and our success. And likewise, we were interested in them mm -hmm. and their needs as customers. And so we got to learn about one another. Then we did a little food incubator space, sort of raised the capital in order to open our first restaurant through relationships that Tim had cultivated with customers. And then um, from there, built the next restaurant. And from that, I think it's simplistic to say that it's a longer time in coming, thought deeply about what growth scale would look like in the future. Mm -hmm. Man, uh, I really, I really love it, and I think one thing that's really important to touch on why so many restaurants uh, struggle early on, or just in general, is because they don't have that time, or they don't take the time to get that clarity and to do that visioning and mission, like you know, to you know, kind of create a mission. It sounds like you guys were doing, and uh, that impact you have with the the relations of the people that came in, you know, to support you. I think those really strong communal relations uh, can go so far, and there's a lot to take away from that story. Yeah, so. I mean, for us, it's so much about our neighbors, and mm -hmm. neighbors, it's a broad term. I mean, you can be my neighbor and be from Detroit, you know, I <laughs> yeah. grew up in Michigan, so you actually might have been my neighbor, but I think that there's this piece of just that neighborliness and that open door. Great stuff, and now we have to find a time in your journey where you two both just fell hard on your ass with a failure. And uh, I think <laughs> we can learn a lot from looking at the successes and, you know, the, the su successful habits of people. But I think we really learn from the failures um, of others in our, in our own failure. So tell us a story where you failed and uh, just bring us right down to that moment. Well, we thought we were super broke. <laughs> well, we were super broke. <laughs> when corporate catering ended, I mean, we were building a commercial kitchen at that time. We had invested our personal resources in expansion, and we had to decide whether we would throw in the towel or mm. whether we would, you know, and I feel like this is such a funny word. It gets thrown around in business circles all the time, but pivot. <laughs> and um, it, it does. It gets thrown around, I think, with sort of carelessly even. But um, for us, it really was a sense of, okay, are we caterers at heart? And then we realized we were caterers for a short while because we needed to do due diligence and be faithful to the teams we had hired and retain as many people as possible during a time in which everyone was laying someone off. Mm -hmm. And we had to think about what we were committed to and who we had promised things to and fulfill on that. So then we began social catering, and that was a whole other dynamic. Okay. So what was the failure here? Like, where did you really fail during this, this oh, experience? The failure was that we had committed to uh, projects that were financially in growth mode when the whole economy crashed. Mm. And so we didn't, you know, we had to figure out how to make up that financial gap that was real intense. I mean, we had to decide, do we go bankrupt in our first year of marriage? Do we stay the course? Do we keep our business model do we throw in the towel right when everything crashed i mean we were making close to you know 1500 little bento boxes a day for five different major tech car tech companies and then basically within a month losing 
every account we had. Mm. So it's a very stable business model to basically no clients at all. Mm-hmm. And so you said you had a sorry. <laughs> you said you had to fill the gap, and what ways did you fill this gap? So we needed to keep our employees who worked with us working. Mm-hmm. So if we if we didn't figure out how to change our business model and drum up work, then we would have lost our entire team. And we still ended up losing some people, which was really emotionally very difficult because we cared so much about everyone who worked with us, and they were all such professionals. And so for us, we had to figure out kind of, you know, like I would go to wedding fairs and we would, I mean, it was like very basic, hit the pavement, figure out how do we keep it going. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways you feel, you did fill the gap, was this around the time you started uh, pivoting towards being a deli? Yeah, so that actually was something, and I think that this is kind of the model of where, you, and, and in general, I think it's always a good idea to experiment where you're not putting a huge investment, mm-hmm. but that you can learn a whole lot. Okay. And so for us, the barrier to entry for being a little deli was in a food incubator space that was a shared, a physical shared retail space between six small food businesses. And so the rent was really low. There was a sense of community and an exchange of being able to learn from one another. Mm. And then it was our first opportunity to see what retail might look like for us. Mm-hmm. So while restaurant is one animal and catering is another, retail is completely different. And so in this incredibly low-risk, very small way, we were able to challenge ourselves and see, you know, what would this look like? How would this work? Would you say the two of you are very adaptable people and able to pivot and evolve with different challenges? Do you think that might have had something to do with how you were able to fill this gap? I think that... If you're in the restaurant business and yeah. you are still surviving, it's probably the most important mm. uh, skill you can have. Well, I mean, the, the restaurant business will throw everything at you that you never saw coming. So without able to basically take it in stride and figure out how to make it work, then you probably shouldn't be in the restaurant business. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you guys did an incredible job getting through that hard time. And if there was one lesson you could have taken away from this failure, what would it have been? I think just one thing that we did take away and we actually implement now in all of our business planning is we plan for recession mm-hmm. in all of our business planning. Mm-hmm. We don't plan for the high times. You plan for sustaining yourself through the low times. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that you can always be guaranteed is that there are no guarantees. Mm-hmm. Can you throw a percentage out there that you use as like a cushion to save for those those it, tough times? It, yeah, it's not only that because everybody. I mean, the, the, you can for each business and each model, yeah. but it's such an individual answer, and it okay. has so much to do with how someone's model is built. So, like something that the fast casual model looks unbelievably different than a fine dining model or a food truck, or so it's. I mean, for us, it's just when we build a staff. Think about, and this is a very like, sort of visceral way to think about it, think about who's in the room with you and how do you keep them there? Mm. And how do you keep them there if the economy is really bad for three months, for six months, for nine months? And at the you know, six and nine month mark, do you need to change your business model? And yeah. if you do, what does that look like? And, you know, so there's all of these things that come together that are very basic. Like when you're, I think about people who are starting restaurants and, you know, it's funny, I hear a lot of people say, oh, my exit strategy is death. And I think, okay, well, that's noble. But really, like, what happens when you're building a business? Yeah. So what happens when, you know, and so there are these things where you're just, we employ between our two spaces more than 50 people. So those are 50 people that we're constantly thinking about. Yeah. Awesome. Great stuff. Thank you for really getting into the details of that. I love pulling yeah. back the layers, and you guys did a great job answering those questions. So it is time, you two, to drop some restaurants, bombs, and knowledge. Are you ready to just... Litter us with little bits of advice and knowledge. Sure. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so this is a, it's like a speed round. You guys are just going to like, it's going to be a little bit faster pace, and now okay. we're just going to rip through the second half. All right. Great. <laughs> so what advice do you have for funding a restaurant, getting that capital? Make best friends with a lawyer and an accountant from the start so that you know what your model is. Mm, awesome. Do you want to add anything to that, Tim, before we move on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and basically, if you're, if you're looking for funding, talk to your customers. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Talk to the people you already serve. I love it. All right. The next question I have for you is what advice do you have for hiring good people? What questions are you asking? What are you looking for? For me, it's all about personality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it, you actually have to have some skill too, but personality for me is everything. You can teach people a skill, but you can't teach people to be open-minded or to basically follow things, or to do things the way that you want them to do them. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, did you want to add anything? Yeah, hungry for growth. Someone who doesn't want the job they're applying for, they want two jobs down the line. Awesome. I love it. So when you find these people who have the right attitude, who are hungry for growth, what's your advice for keeping them on your team? We provide a ladder for growth. So lots of education development. We invest in leadership development, training. We do a lot of peer-to-peer training industry sort of education, really just providing an outlet for people. Where when they leave, we want them to feel proud that ET was on their resume, no matter what industry. You say you invest in training. Is there a specific course you use or some some online resource you would recommend? Yeah, there's a so full disclosure, (laughs) I'm on the board of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. Okay. And they provide education and training for employees who are whose restaurants are members. So oh. everything from food safety certification to half up planning to thinking deeply about bigger questions mm-hmm. like growth and scale and so that being a resource in the Bay Area, though each major metropolitan area in every state has its own restaurant association, mm-hmm. which education is part of its um, mission statement. So that's that's one. And then also, I mean at a very basic level, if you're serving great wine or beer Invite those makers to be with your staff. Invite oh, them yeah. to change their story. Mm-hmm. Because if you really know how that land is cultivated, you're going to know more about that grape and you're going to know more about that cake. And that all, when you, when they, they have those details, when your servers have those details too, they can really, it provides opportunity to really take that experience to the next level and to tie your restaurant with new uh, knowledge. And when they think of that new knowledge, you're going to think of your restaurant. And that's really can be powerful stuff. And Tim, did you want to add anything to that? He will be right back. He actually just checked on our dog. No, it's okay. I'll, uh, I'll just move. He's back. He's back. So okay. he said, is there anything else you'd like to add as a resource? No, I think you covered it pretty good. You uh, said something to me. So Tim said something to me about, oh, him yeah. about other restaurateurs. Yeah, so talking like, to other restaurateurs. Oh, yeah. It's a great resource. I think sometimes, you know, it, you can feel really defeated with, you know, certain maybe certain sales that happen during a month. You know, it's always kind of hard to, to predict, like, you know, like people always say, oh, it's slow in April because of taxes or it's slow this night because the Oscars are on. And sometimes it can feel kind of defeating and talking to other restaurateurs. Even sometimes it's them saying, oh, yeah, we were slow also can be a great resource of like, oh, okay, then it's not something personally I'm doing. It's actually just the way that things are. Awesome. So the next question I have for the two of you is what is one restaurant resource, like a book, maybe like setting the table that you, (laughs) that you would suggest is a must read. It could be a restaurant book or maybe even just like a personal growth or a business book. There is a book that I love so much. And I'm sure that other people have said this. It's Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones and Butter. Say it one more time. Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones, and Butter. That is the first time it's been said on the show. Congratulations. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. What blows my mind? Okay, so <laughs> number one, if everyone hasn't read this just for the prose and storytelling alone, get on it. Two, it's so deeply practical mm-hmm. about who we are in terms of hospitality. She is vested to her bones. And I think that she talks about hospitality in such an inspirational way and almost almost in a sacrificial way for what it means to be present for a guest. Um, the other thing is, is that she's irreverent, she's funny, there's a whole lot of swearing, so if anyone's offended <laughs> by that, be, you know, put your PGE 13 earmuffs on. But she... Um, if if she they're really offended by that, they stopped listening to this podcast a while ago. <laughs> right, right, they're probably, yeah, they're probably not working in a restaurant in general. But, but she talks about growth and scale in this humanistic way that is certainly not a business book. She talks about what it was like to be a caterer, and I think that it's maybe one of the funniest 
chapters in a book I've ever read other than uh, there's one other book that I think maybe rivals it in terms of funniness. But it, she's just, she's a brilliant author and, of course, an inspiration. And I think a, a woman in the restaurant world um, who's really paved the way in New York. Awesome. Did you, did I miss, did you mention another book real quick that I might have missed about finance? But finance? No, I do really like um, a couple of other sort of just practical approach books. I really like the book Girl Boss um, by the founder of Nasty Gal Clothes. And there are parts of it that I think translate to our industry, parts that certainly translate more to the phenomenon of the Internet and purchasing and marketplace there. But I think that she talks in a mentorship way to young professionals. And that's the gap. I think everyone on earth writes like the business book for like how to scale your company to a hundred million. <laughs> nobody actually writes the book for, so you just graduated college and you're pretty good at being a pretty good person, but what do you do at work? Mm-hmm. And I think she built that gap really well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And Tim, yeah. is there anything you would like to add before we move on? Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> <laughs> You have a lot of friends, and that's how you get all of your information. I'm, I'm more of a talker than a social networker. He's a social butterfly. It's so important, though, so that's not a bad thing. So, all right, we'll, I, we'll, go ahead. I buy books for our employees. I buy books, and I pass them out all the time. Everything from, like, really, like, the guy, the founder of Zappos Books, Delivering Happiness, to I've heard great Setting the Table, yeah. which is incredible, of course, Setting the Table is, like, the Bible, yeah. I think, <laughs> I, I didn't even mention it, because I feel like everybody mentions it, um, I mean, even down to, like, not that I gave this out, because it's inappropriate, but, like, Lena Dunham's book, you know, I think that there are these slices of, of reality and humanity and work that are true for everyone. Awesome. Great resources. I can't wait to throw those in the show notes. And um, if you guys are interested in checking out these books, just head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll have links in the show notes in case you're searching for a pen to write names down. Just go to uh, Restaurant Unstoppable slash Tim and Aaron, and I want to make sure I'm saying your last name, Archuleta. (laughs) And you'll find it right there in the links. So, all right. The next question I have for the two of you is... On the topic of marketing, if you could just drop one piece of marketing advice on us, what would it be? Authentic social media. If I see one more paid social media feed that only offers coupons, (laughs) it'll never get you anywhere. Being authentic with your guests, just be with them online as you are in person, even if you're not doing it. Awesome. I love it. And I think uh, one important thing about authenticity and what really makes people like you is being interested in them. Um, and mm-hmm. I th- so I think that's a huge part of it. And uh, just I'll, I'll shut up now. This is a, this is a no, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Yeah, if, it's but, not, if it's not a real exchange, there's not much happening. You know, it's a one-sided. Think about like if you're at a lecture and it's not going well and it's totally one-sided and, you know, the audience gets bored. It's the same spirit online. Yeah. And uh, just to add to that, I mean, just from listening to all the little things about Tim, I, I mean, I, I, just from hearing these like little bits and pieces about how solid and impactful you have some relationships with, with relationships with different people in your community. I think that is, you know, that too has, you have to say something to that. I mean, I think that those solid, true, real relationships, um, can go so far. And I mean, it's not really, it, it is in a way marketing. It so has so much to do with marketing. I think that you are clearly a big part of that. I'm sure it goes both ways. not just him. I th- I'm sure you're pretty great too, Aaron. <laughs> but, uh, um, we live in, you know, we live, literally across the street from the original restaurant and then a half block away from our new restaurant. You know, our customers are our community. They're our mm-hmm. neighbors. It's like one of those, it's like, I, the first thing I think of is the Sesame Street, you know, who's the person in your neighborhood kind of like song. And I think, you know, I wish I could, could have been in that and like, Awesome. (laughs) All right. The next question I have for the two of you is on the topic of technology. I mean, we're living in a time today where so many new technologies are surfacing and you can leverage these technologies to be more productive and more uh, you know, effective and efficient and profitable. Is there anything that you guys have recently implemented into your systems, uh, into your restaurant that you've seen a lot of positive, you know, impacts with, and I mean, just share it with us. Maybe just talk to a little bit of why yeah. it's working. Sure. So there's sort of three different levels that this happens at. There's like the administrative level, 
but your general staff level and then sort of the leadership level. So for the basic sort of everybody kind of all in the pool, Dropbox is wonderful mm. because no matter who's working what shift, anything in the cloud is available and accessible. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's a really democratic way to share information. Mm -hmm. Email, I think, can be very difficult because it requires someone sitting and checking it out, but you know, if they can just pop into what they need, mm -hmm. that's really helpful. Um, I think also for us, in terms of both customers and our team, we have a partnership with an organization called Soch. They're an online company that offers a, a bevy of social activity, but one of the programs they have is a concierge program that offers reservations. Okay. And so that's been a really, you know, I think in that same spirit of ticketing, though not exactly, um, it, it's a great way for people who want to experience something new to try it and kind of know a little bit of what they're in for, but also to be a little surprised. Okay. So that's really special. Can you, Open table. Can you say that time. one more time, though? Was it, was it SOCH? S-O-C-H. Okay, cool. Thank Soch. you. Yeah. And they're based here in the Bay Area. They, I think they may be in other cities as well. Okay. Um, and then Open Table, huge. I mean, they're, they're like the biggest in the industry, but they are so able to make you accessible to diners and also for your staff to learn a little bit about who's joining them. Okay. I think that so those are sort of the staff level pieces. On the administrative side, I know you had on your list of things QuickBooks. I think no one can survive without QuickBooks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they have some of their secret and amazing methods, but I am grateful to QuickBooks all the time. <laughs> and then at the at the leadership level, there's a new app that I'm I'm really keen on. It's called Update Zen, and I really like it because it's this way in which your team can communicate with you and or each other about the projects they're working on in a way in which you're not sucking away all your meeting time. Okay. The meetings become more productive and updates then becomes these snapshots of projects that people are working on and they can request help from one another or you and get feedback. So you say that was an app, a mobile app? It is. It's an app. It's a mobile app. That is a and first time. You are just killing it with these first time uh, referrals. <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to cut you off. Sorry about that. Hmm. No, is it? Well, and then the one last. Never underestimate the old email service. Help a reporter out. Hero. Because no matter who you are, <laughs> if you are at the smallest restaurant on the planet, you can still check that feed and make yourself present to a whole bevy of freelancers around the globe. You know what's really great about Hero? I don't think a lot of people um, use this uh, or do this often enough. I just check it every once in a while because. Um, it's more about how you can find opportunities for other people. Like you mentioned, when you, right. when you, uh, you're always trying to look for like your like how to get your employee. It's like getting your employee to the next level in their career, right? Like you want to help people connect. And if you see something right. in Hero, then you say, "Hey, you know, so and so, I thought of you when I saw this. This is a great opportunity for you to get your name out there." But I'm always Absolutely. looking not just for myself, but for other people. And, th and when you can do that, when you can help other people out, that positive energy just goes so far. So, thank you for sharing that. Resource. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Tim, uh, did you want to add any other resources before we uh, get to wrapping it up here? Uh, I think Spotify. <laughs> what, what was that? Yeah. Sam is probably Spotify and Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. huge, though. I think I don't think people mention music enough on the show because music can have such a huge impact on the energy in your kitchen and the the attitude. And you know, you come in having a miserable day, but if the music's playing something positive and people are dancing and smiling, it's like hitting a switch. So that is a good. I'm resource. telling you, yeah, that prep playlist matters. A <laughs> <lot>. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite okay. playlist? That's what I got to ask. What's your favorite playlist? Oh. Uh, well, ew, we have a, we have one that for ourselves. <laughs> well, it's for mainly for our staff, but we also it's. I look at looking up on Spotify my playlist, and they're they're all pretty motivational. I would say. Awesome. It's Great. really funny. A lot of what gets played in our restaurant at night would basically sound like our wedding reception. <laughs> it's pretty much all hip hop, like oh, completely. Great. Awesome. All right. So I've I'm wrapping it up here. We're getting close to the end. And I just want to know if you could go back in time, if the two of you could go back in time and maybe you're just getting married and you knew you had this dream to open a restaurant, what's one piece of advice that you two would give 
past, you know, Tim and Eric, if you could just go back, or Tim and Eric, Tim and Aaron, sorry, I'm Eric. Uh, <laughs> Tim and Aaron, if you could just go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's a, too many pieces. <laughs> one thing you said, actually, so back to Eric, one thing you said earlier that really struck a chord is that how people pull out essentially right before they're about to be successful. And I think that that's really true and really common. And one of the things that I think is very true is that um, much like people invest in college or their education, mm-hmm. there's a period of time where you're investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And usually that's the time of your life you're eating ramen and living really slim. Mm-hmm. And yet you still need to present yourself in this incredibly accessible way in which you're positive and moving forward and even sometimes aspirational. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's wise for people who are in the beginning phases to know that any sort of wealth, um, and I say wealth with quotes in it because in the restaurant industry, it's rare to make a lot of money. Like the Shake Shack guy, he is an anomaly. <laughs> He's not everybody. And I think so prepare for wealth or that, that long-term sustained career to take a long time. You're investing in yourself. Mm, awesome. I, I would say my one advice is that when you're raising money to fund your project, um, ask for three times as much as you think you need. <laughs> yes. And count on it taking ten times as long as you think mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Maybe awesome. two times as long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, awesome. But over over plan because so, you can always say that. <laughs> these are all the questions I have for you two. You've been great. Now I just have to ask, is there any question you think would have added more value to this interview? One is how you communicate with your employees. Um, I think that a lot of times people, um, especially during startup, it's this really basic time of just needing everything to work. But it's also a time in which you're developing relationships with the people who will be able to either make that restaurant a success or not. Mm. And so thinking really deeply about what that communication Mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah. And then the other one would be, and it's funny that you cut this question. I actually think management <laughs> style is an incredibly valid question. So leadership to me is different than management. Okay. And um, while they are certainly intrinsically connected, um, what does that day-to-day actually look like for you? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like for you? For us? Yeah, you, so gotta, you we, can't just ask the question and then not answer it. Yeah. Oh, sure. No, that's fine. So for us, when we first started, it looked really different than we do now. When we first started, we only had, for the first restaurant, we only had 13 employees. So you could talk to everyone over the course of a day. Now, between two properties and multiple places, needing to be accessible is more important than ever. So routinely having things like office hours, setting up systems where you have to see each other face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, people come pick up their tips from our office. So that, one, our office is not a place that's like the scary place you come if you have to, like, say something hard or, you know, you want to take vacation, um, but that it's a real lived-in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is that we are, we have a real open-door policy where if someone wants to complain about something, they need to also offer a suggestion for change. Okay. Because awesome. they're not in it alone. I love it. And, uh, Tim, uh, I don't want to forget about you. Is there anything that you have on the tip of your tongue before we wrap it up? Um, no, you did a pretty good job. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. And, uh, I mean, I guess we wrap up every episode with you guys calling out an indie restaurant professional, um, someone who you admire in the industry and you think would make a great guest mentor on the show. Yeah, we have a friend. Uh, her name is uh, Sharon. She owns a couple of restaurants uh, in San Francisco called Giolina and Regaza. Okay. And, yeah, she's, she's killing it. She's an awesome person. She's an incredible chef. We really admire her a lot. Great. Sharon, look out. I'm coming after you. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) you guys have been incredible. So why don't you let the folks at home know, how can they connect with you if they have any further questions? Or maybe they just want to come work for you if they're out in San Francisco. Oh, so two places. (laughs) One, if you just want to chat, definitely on social media. And we're active on all. And we're real. And it's us. And then the other is that if you want to work with us, right on our website, we have a careers page. We also are partners, this is very sweet, with the San Francisco Unified School District 
hospitality intern programs. So future culinary students who are maybe juniors in high school that want to grow up and be in the industry come and work with us. And then we also collaborate with um, the San Francisco State Hospitality Program. So we're excited about people who are interested in the industry. Awesome. Well, there's no questioning that the two of you are without a doubt unstoppable. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to come talk to us here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you for yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. This okay. was really fun. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Such a great episode. Tim and Aaron Archuleta, you guys rocked. Thank you so much for taking the time to come out and be a guest here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And I just wanted to recap some of the things that really struck a chord with me today. And that was your emphasis on just sticking with it and working hard and just never quitting. Uh, and like you said, uh, we said a few times that, you know, that people quit just before they, they get there. So get creative, tap into that frontal lobe of yours and try to find a way to make it possible to make your dream come true. As soon as you say, I can't do it, your mind shuts off. So if there's one thing I want you guys to take away from today's episode, it's that. And, uh, if you want to check out the links to everything we talked about in today's episode, they're all right there in the show notes, www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash Tim and Aaron Archuleta. I'll have links to the books, the services, and there were a whole handful of services that were first time mentioned on the show, like Spotify, Harrow, uh, Update Them, and uh, Soch. All first time mentions. I'm excited about that and excited to dive deeper into those services. And I'll have a link to Tim's Spotify uh, account, too. I'll, if I can do that, I will try to, and I'll have that for you in the show notes. Thank you guys for everything. Like always, if you can think of somebody who would make a great guest mentor on the show, shoot me an email. I will do everything humanly possible to get them as a guest on the show. Until next time, peace out.